Well, friends, this is a, this is a joyous day. This is a day of celebration. Uh, but it's a day of celebration that we know takes us to the darkness and the pain of the cross of crucifixion. But we ultimately know that we, we will end up celebrating the joy, the unending joy of the resurrection. And we know that that's our end. That's our ultimate goal as followers of Jesus, resurrection. That's the ultimate end. That's the ultimate goal of God's, resura- God's creation, of, of restoration and resurrection for all of creation, of God's heaven, God's heaven and kingdom coming to this earth, being melded into one. And we celebrate the first steps towards that end today. But today, we're simply going to tell the story of how it all went down that day when Jesus entered into Jerusalem. So I encourage you to hear these words from the Gospel of Luke. I'll be in chapter 19 and read verses 28 through 40. Hear these words. After Jesus had said this, he went up ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it, say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road When he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet the stones will cry out. Will you pray with me? Lord God, we praise you for your scriptures and for the ways that you speak to us in and through them. I pray, God, you would speak to us here today that we might know you, that we might see you, that we might be transformed all in the name of Jesus the Christ. Amen and amen. You know, this is the day that we shout the words, Hosanna, right? Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna. Anytime I say Hosanna throughout this this sermon, I I would encourage you to say Hosanna in the highest, right? We'll just, we'll we'll pretend that we're uh, Pentecostals today or or at least some charismatic Baptists or something. Um, But friends, this is Palm Sunday, right? This is the start of the journey down the road to the, to the celebration of Jesus' resurrection. And I'll, I'll give a shameless plug here at the beginning. We'll be, we'll be walking that journey. We'll be just traveling that road on Thursday evening and Friday evening, 7 p.m. each, here in person and online. Uh, we'll be celebrating Holy Thursday and Good Friday those evenings. You're encouraged to come. And then we'll be celebrating Easter Sunday at 8.30, 9.45, and 11. Uh, But friends, this is the start of that journey. It's the journey where we tell and remember the story 
And in telling and remembering, we seek to find our place in that story, that amazing story of God's incredible love for us. And it's a journey of transformation. So we're going to keep it simple. We're going to walk through the story of Jesus' final entry into Jerusalem, seeking for God to speak to us through it. But we're going to tell it through the lens of the Gospel of Luke. And this passage from Luke, we call it the, the triumphal entry, right? It's a triumphal entry. But how is it a triumphal entry? Well, it's the beginning of his final days leading up to his death and resurrection. And all throughout Luke's gospel to this point, Jesus has been making his way to Jerusalem. And that Jerusalem was the center of all life and worship for Jews. So here we find Jesus having finally arrived just outside the city to the east on the Mount of Olives, where he and his disciples were there overlooking the city below. And Jesus was preparing to enter the city, but in doing so, he wanted to make a definitive statement about who he was. So Jesus, he sends two of his disciples to the village ahead to find a colt that had been unridden, and he told them to bring it to him. So they did as Jesus said, found the colt, as Jesus said. And when asked why they were taking the colt, responded, the Lord needs it, just as Jesus said. The disciples brought the colt to Jesus. They threw their cloaks on its back and sat Jesus on it. Now, triumphal processions of a conqueror returning, returning from battle, you know, a, a conqueror or a returning ruler, they, those, those processions were common in the first century Roman world. The conqueror or ruler would ride in on a majestic war horse, surrounded by the crowd, shouting words of praise and acclamation. So here we find Jesus pictured in this event as the triumphal king. But he turns that image on its head. Instead of riding in on a majestic war horse, he comes riding in on a young donkey. Jesus then started the short journey down the Mount of Olives to Jerusalem, and as he did, people were spreading their cloaks on the road in front of him. This was both a sign of, you know, just kind of spontaneous jubilation and celebration, and a symbolic gesture reserved only for a king. So those gathered began praising God joyfully in loud voices for all of the miracles that they had witnessed. They shouted the words of Psalm 118, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. This is an amazing, amazing scene. In this one event, Jesus is paving the way for what lies ahead. He's making known to the people that He is King, that He is Lord, and that is worthy of our hosannas. You know, hosanna. Amen. And by entering in this way, Jesus is redefining the meaning of kingship. A redefinition that will be fully realized on the cross of Good Friday and ultimately three days later with the empty tomb. Jesus is the king that the Old Testament prophet Zechariah made known. I'd like to read a short passage from the prophet Zechariah. 
He says this in chapter 9, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. This one event has enormous kind of turn the world upside down implications, right? Individual, social, political, and cosmic implications. The nature of Jesus' kingdom would be far different than anything the world had ever seen or known. You know, I think many of us are familiar with this story. If you've ever been to a worship service on the Sunday before Easter, you've heard this story, usually from the Gospel of Luke or Matthew. They differ slightly. You know, in Luke, there are not the familiar palm branches, but the message is the same. Each year, though, we hear about how in this event, Jesus is beginning his journey towards crucifixion, about how crowds are shouting Jesus' praises and and that we are to join in on the Hosannas. Amen. I like it. But we often hear about the subversive nature of what is taking place here as well. How the waving of palm branches was an act of revolution, right? Announcing Jesus as king over and above Caesar. We even hear about how the crowds shouting Jesus' praises as he makes his way to Jerusalem are the same people who shout, crucify him, as he is drugged before Pilate. That the crowds are fickle, and that we should heed the warning and knowledge in the knowledge that we can be fickle too. All of these are truths of this event that we should remind ourselves of. We should seek repentance in that, right? Repentance is still Lent. We practice repentance, but we're always to practice repentance. But to seek repentance and to seek transformation. But as I was spending time with this story this week, I, I found my, myself thinking not so much about the crowds of people who were there, as I kind of alluded to earlier, but instead about the people who were not there, right? The, the people who weren't shouting Jesus' praises, the people who were not laying their cloaks on the road in front of Jesus. And I think, who were these people? Was Jesus coming for them as well? You know, for the, for the ones who did not come out that day. The, clo- the ones whose cloaks were not there. And we can imagine who those people might have been. You know, maybe one of those cloaks belonged to a woman with small children, right? A mother who had the responsibility p- to put food on the table and to feed her young children. And this religious festival may have just seemed like a burden to her in her, you know, busy life. And that's even if her faith was strong. To drag the children down to the roadside to see some so-called king coming into the city may have felt like a waste of time. You know, so many chores to do, so many jobs to do, and her cloak may have remained in the house. But does Jesus come for her as well? 
Maybe one of those cloaks belonged to a, a, a Roman soldier so, so far from his home and family. You know, maybe he had to work in Pilate's palace on that day. He had to patrol the corridors of earthly power and protect the governor. His cloak never made the ground before Jesus. It was with him as he went about his business. Does Jesus come for him? But maybe one of those cloaks was a, a child's cloak. You know, a kid just running the streets with his friends, just doing what kids do. And he simply played and drifted here and there and had no interest in the adults and their parades and their processions. His cloak stayed at home because when you run the streets with your, your friends, you don't really need a cloak on. Does Jesus enter Jerusalem for this child? Or maybe one of those cloaks be, belonged to someone older, someone who was struggling with their health. You know, it, it, was, it was hard enough to get out of the house on that day, and who needed crowds anyway? Life was hard, and the toil of aging meant, meant worries about attending religious festivals were not what they used to be. Does Jesus enter Jerusalem for them as well? You see, I think more often than not, we think about this story from the perspective of those who show up. Even if we admit that the crowd is fickle, that each one of us is fickle, what about those who don't show up, who don't understand what's going on, who maybe don't even care what's going on, you know, those who don't get involved? Which leads me to the somewhat obvious question. What about the ones who are not here today? You know, we're gathered here in person, online. What about those who are not? Those who don't know what's going on. Those who don't know what God is doing in the world and in our midst. Those who don't get involved. And, and those who maybe don't even care. You know, the parents who took their children and their sporting equipment off to the next event who are busy all week and want just to have some quality time letting their kids do what they want to do. The parents who see Sunday as sacred family time. Does Jesus have space for them? The people in the shopping centers working because so many of us, you know, we're drawn to the shops on our day off and we're, we're embedded in this deep culture of, of consuming things. Or maybe the people who are working in hospitals or the police or, or firemen who, who, who have to take a shift this day whilst we have the privilege and the opportunity to be here worshiping God. Or maybe the couple who is struggling in their relationship and they're too worn out or too embarrassed to be seen at church. Or the person struggling with addiction Maybe they simply can't believe that they would have a place at Jesus' table or that Jesus would enter into their mess. Or even maybe more controversially, we might think about those who have rejected the Christian notion and understanding of God. People from different religions or none. People for whom the church has not been there or has even caused distress or pain in their lives. Does Jesus enter Jerusalem for them as well? Jesus gives us the answer. 
And it's the answer that opens everything up for us. Everything. In verse 39 of this passage, we encounter the Pharisees, right? The, those Pharisees, those pesky Pharisees. They're upset with what they see as blasphemy right before their eyes. Right? These crowds praising Jesus as king. But the praise that the crowd was giving Jesus in their minds was to be reserved only for the Creator God. So this was blasphemy. Blasphemy. To the Pharisees, Jesus was just a teacher. And so they said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But Jesus answered, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. If they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. What is occurring as Jesus enters Jerusalem is not just for the benefit of the few gathered there, but is an event for the whole of creation. This event is not simply for the ones that turned up. It has cosmic implications. There are overtones of this in, in what Paul has written in his book the, to the Colossians, that, that he is the cosmic Christ. Or maybe at the beginning of John's Gospel, you know, in the beginning was the Word, and all things came into being through him. Does Jesus enter Jerusalem for the people who did not turn up? Jesus gives his answer. He entered for all, for everyone, for the whole of creation. Not just those who make a personal profession of faith. He entered in for all. He seeks to embrace all. He knows and loves all, and he wants them to choose him as well. So what does that mean for those of us who are here? What does it mean for, for we who, who do lay our cloaks down and take up our branches to, to call out Hosanna? Amen. For me, the answer is as simple and as complex as it was on that day. Right? God loves us as we who have had a glimpse of Jesus' power and authority, and we are drawn to respond. We are drawn into following and celebrating God's love revealed in Jesus Christ. So in gathering here, we lay the cloaks of our lives before Jesus. We offer ourselves to Him, and we sing out, Hosanna! And save us, not because we are the privileged, the privileged few, but simply because God is and God loves. So on this day, when prophecies are fulfilled, when Jesus comes riding in on a donkey, our, our excitement, I think, is held in check by our knowledge that while we might yell, Hosanna today... Crucify him is just as easy on the next day. And more than this, we are reminded of all the cloaks still at home. The people who are not with us here, the ones for whom God's relationship and offering may remain a mystery to us and to them. 
But as we prepare to travel the long, dark journey to the cross, we have to know the good news. And the good news is this, that the stones themselves would cry out. For Jesus Christ, the King, is coming to establish His everlasting kingdom. Hosanna. Amen. It's so unusual, it's frightening. You see right through the mess inside me. Then you call me out to pull me in. You tell me I can start again And I don't need to keep on hiding I'm fully known And loved by you You won't let go No matter what I do It's not one or the other It's hard truth and ridiculous grace To be known, fully known and loved by you I'm fully known and loved by you it's so like you to keep pursuing it's so like me to go astray but you guard my heart with your truth a kind of love that's bulletproof and I surrender to your kindness I'm fully known and loved by you you won't let go no matter what I do it's not one or the other it's hard truth and ridiculous grace to be known fully known and loved by you I'm fully known and loved by you how real how wide how rich how high is your heart I cannot find the reasons why you give me so much how real how high how rich how wide is your heart I cannot find the reasons why you give me so much. I'm fully known and loved by you. You won't let go, no matter what I do. It's not one or the other. It's hard truth and ridiculous grace to be known, fully known and loved by you i'm fully known and loved by you it's so unusual it's frightening i'm fully known